0: Well, good morning, Anthem Church. You guys are doing well this morning where you're at, hunkering down, ready to open God's Word. If you are new to Anthem Church, or if it's been a while, we are in the book of Acts. We are in chapter 9 this morning, so if you want to open there in your phone or your app or open a new web browser and open up uh, Acts chapter 9, that's where we'll be this morning. My name's Todd, I'm one of the elders here at Anthem Church, have the privilege of uh, sharing God's word with you. I would say that I work at shelter, but it's more accurate to say I work for shelter and I work at home <laughs> for the past two weeks. So I've been at home, but I work for shelter insurance. So as you're opening to Acts chapter nine, I want to uh, pose a question I would like you guys to consider. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Like what gets you burning inside? What, what motivates you? What, what burns inside you? What are you really passionate about? And when I ask the question, even the first thing you do is you look in. You look inside. What, what's, when I think about what am I passionate about, I look in. And I think, what fuels, what burns inside? What, what things have you been prevented from doing these past few weeks that you really wish you could do? What's burning inside you? And, and we look in intuitively. I think that's right, because that's where passion starts. But we also should look out because passion manifests itself. It wants to do something. It's a bunch of energy that wants to go somewhere. It looks for some place to go, to release, to get out. And so it wants to come out of our fingertips, out of our mouths, it wants to come out of us. And so when we're passionate about something, it wants to come out, like Solomon says in Proverbs six twenty-seven: can a man carry fire in his chest and his clothes not get burned? When you have passion and fire inside you, it wants to come out and it seeks an outlet. And that's our big idea this morning, is that our passions insist on being practiced. Our passions insist on being practiced. They insist on it. They will not not step down. They want to find an outlet. If it's a really a passionate thing, it will look for a way to get out, and it wants to be practiced. It wants to be put into motion. It wants to do something about it. It can't just be sat on. It refuses to stay down like a beach ball in a swimming pool. It will not stay underwater. No matter how hard you push, that thing wants to come up, and that's the same thing with our passions. They want to come out. And this morning, as you open to Acts chapter 9, hopefully you found your way there. We'll be doing the first uh, 19 verses of chapter 9. We're going to be looking at a passionate man, a passionate man, a man by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, a man full of passion. And we're going to be looking at what it looks like to be a man who has passion and what God does with this man named Saul. So let's look at the first two verses. But Saul, still breathing threats, And murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Paul's passionate. And look, he's so passionate. And look where it starts. It starts with breathing. Like, he's he got this passion inside him, and it's coming out his mouth. It's got to go somewhere. So it's coming out his mouth and he's breathing threats and murder. He's like, if I could just get my hands on those people. Ugh. Like it's, it just, you can't even help it. Like we, we even use the word we vent. Well, what's venting? Venting is passion coming out. It's like, I just had to say something. I couldn't not say something. And so it's coming out his mouth and he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples. But passions insist on being practiced. So at some point, breathing and talking about it isn't enough anymore. It has to do more than just breathe and so he like it 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 doesn't stop there so it begins with breathing but it ends in acting so look at what he does he went to the high priest it motivated him he's like i just i can't just say negative things against him anymore i need to do something about it so he goes to the high priest he goes he gets his feet in motion and he goes he does something and then he gets there and he asks them for permission to do something he's like he asks them for letters he's like can i have permission to go around and look what he wants to do. He wants to find people belonging to the way. He wants to be a hunter. He wants to, I want to find these people. Give me permission. Set me out there. Put me in the game, coach. I got this fire in my belly and I need, I got a jersey on. Put me in the game. And he asks for permission to go do this so that he can find and track these people down. That he might find them, men and women. Doesn't matter to him. He's all equal as far as that goes. And he wants to find them and he wants to bind them and drag them back to Jerusalem. <laughs> His passion did not want to just stay content in his chest. It burned outside his clothes, his fingers, out his mouth, out his feet, where he went, what he talked about, what he did, what he wanted to do was all informed by his passion. Look at the way he describes himself. Actually, Paul, his name is Saul. He will later, we will know him better as the Apostle Paul. So this man goes under a great transition at some point. But look at him looking back. In Galatians 1:13 through14, look at him recalling this period in his life. Look how he describes himself in Galatians 1, "For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism, what we're just read about. that's his former life. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people, because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. He was intense. He advanced more than anybody else. He ran faster and harder than any of his peers because he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his ancestors. That word zealous in Greek is actually onomatopoeia. You guys know what that is? It's like when, when a, dog, a dog says woof. Well, it doesn't actually say woof. That's just the sound it makes, but we have to have a word for it. Or like when you hit something like this, that's bang. <laughs> That's onomatopoeia. Bang is not that, but that's the sound it makes. In Greek, the word for zeal is the sound bubbling, boiling water makes. The word for zeal is the Greek word for the sound water makes when it boils. Can you hear water boiling in your mind? Can you, you can see it. You can see it on your mind's eye. You can see it on the stove. You can see it rippling and bubbling all over. Hear that sound? That's the Greek word for zeal. Passion. It has to go somewhere. All that energy, combined in that water, has to go somewhere and it bubbles out and over the pot and over if I'm cooking and onto the pot and creates a big mess, usually for somebody else to clean up. So passion has to go somewhere. So be careful what you're passionate about. Be careful what passions you feed in yourself because they will take you somewhere. Your passions are not content to be sat on. And how you feed them, which ones you encourage, which ones you put down that will affect what you do. You can't just have strong passions and then act entirely differently. They will insist on being practiced. They want to come out. So be careful what passions you promote. When you have conflicting passions and they're both applying for the same job, like CEO of your heart, consider which one you promote because which one you give the corner office will want to make decisions for the rest of the body. The passion that you promote to CEO will want to make decisions on behalf of the whole corporation. So be careful what passions you promote within yourself. You have a responsibility from God to tell which affections you allow to run how fast. You have a responsibility to tell your affections, no, that's inappropriate, that's too much, that's out of order, that's, that's too far. You are not at the mercy of your affections. You have been made a steward of your heart. Train your affections train up. Feed the ones you want to grow. Don't feed the ones you don't want to grow or you will see them rise to levels of influence in your heart. They will get the corner office and they will start acting like they own the place because you gave them the keys to your kingdom. Because the big idea again this morning is passions insist on being practiced. If you are passionate about something, it wants to go somewhere. So look what happens to this man Saul. He has this passion. He has a plan. Verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus just like he wanted to do. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Paul, this passionate man, his feet are carrying him as fast as he can go to do the thing that his heart is set on, but he is running the wrong direction. So God trips him. (laughs) That may sound funny to you or it might be interesting. Like, why would God trip you? That sounds mean. I I remember being in elementary school. People who trip people were bullies. Last time I saw somebody trip somebody, it's usually not a kind thing to do. Why would God trip Saul up? Because God loved Saul too much to let him run that hard in the wrong direction. God trips people up when they are running the wrong direction. That sounds mean, but it is actually God's grace that he would interfere with us. The fact that God would interfere with what we were trying to do, if we were running the wrong direction, if you were running the wrong direction this morning, if you're running the wrong direction this morning in your heart, in your homes, on your web browsing, would you want God to interfere and trip you if you were going the wrong direction? It is the grace of God that he would step down and interfere with your life. You want God to interfere and to trip you and to stop you from doing what you should not be doing. In fact, scripture actually defines the wrath of God as the exact opposite. The wrath of God, biblically defined, is sometimes sulfur and, and active heat coming down, but sometimes the Bible defines the wrath of God as him just leaving us alone. Sometimes the wrath of God is him just stepping back and says, fine, have it your way. Do what you want. Look at Romans 1:18. Paul, in his great book of Romans, explains what the wrath of God sometimes looks like. He says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is being shown to people from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. How is that wrath being revealed? Romans 1, 26, 28, as he goes on to talk three times, In a row, in verses 24, 26, and 28, he says it this way. How is the wrath of God being revealed? God gave them up. He just took his hands off and said, fine, do what you want. The wrath of God is when he just says, fine, have it your way. The worst thing for us in our personal lives, in our homes, in the history of our world, in our nation, is that God would say, fine, have it your way. The worst thing that could happen to us, the wrath of God himself, would be to eject himself from the situation and say, do it your way, see how it turns out. It is the grace of God that he would interfere in our lives. It's the grace of God that he would interfere with this man named Saul who is running so passionately, so hard in the wrong direction. And God, in his mercy, looks down on this passionate man and knocks him off his feet. But it doesn't stop there. God just, God's grace isn't just knocking people over, he's not just the big kid on the playground who just knocks people over. He actually, then he goes further. Grace goes further. It doesn't just stop people from doing evil, but then it reveals to them what they've been doing. He actually shows Saul what he's been doing. Look, Paul, or Saul at this time, is knocked down, and he's like, what's going on? Who are you? What's happening? Because he doesn't know. All he knows is that he's been stopped at this point. So God's grace has stopped him from running in the wrong direction. He stopped him from doing more and more evil than he was going to do. But now look at the additional grace he pours on. He shows him what he's been doing. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul did not know he was doing that. Saul thinks Jesus is dead. Saul thinks that he's persecuting people who are heretics and not believing in the one true God of his faith, that he is holding on to the traditions of his father as his fathers as hard as he can. He does not know that he is persecuting Jesus, and it is God's grace to show him, you're running the wrong direction, and so I'm going to stop you, and I'm actually going to show you what you have been doing. You think you're doing one thing, but you're doing something else. You are persecuting Jesus, who is not dead. Who is alive and standing here talking to you right now, Saul. You're persecuting me. So grace goes further than just stopping us in our tracks, which would be grace enough. The world would be a better place if God would stop evil. And I think you'd all agree, if God would just show up and stop evil, that would make things better. But then he goes further and shows us what we've been doing, but then grace goes even further and doesn't just kill his passion and stop him right there, but he gives him a new passion. He gives him a new drive. He doesn't just kill the old thing, he replaces it with a new, living, active, passionate thing. Look at verses 10 through 19. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. That phrase is going to be important. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That word suffer is the same word for passion. I'll show how passionate he needs to be for my name instead of what he's been doing. But Passion often is accompanied by suffering because you care so much, you're willing to endure difficult things for the things you care about. That's passion. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. For the third time we see that phrase, he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. First thing he did, first obedience. He believes, he's baptized right out of the gate. He rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. So God doesn't just remove all of Saul's passion. He doesn't say, the problem with this guy is that he's too passionate. He cares too much. So he doesn't just stop that. He replaces it with a new one. We see he regains his sight. He gives him a new vision. He gives him a new hope. Uh, a new passion, a new intensity for his life instead of just killing the old one. And he says in verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I will show him. You, you You think you've seen a passionate Saul? Wait till you see him on fire for God. You've seen him on fire for something else. Wait till you see him with the fire of God burning in his chest. You've seen how hard he runs after things that are less than. See how hard he runs for the most important thing in the world. And maybe that's true for some of you. Maybe God has seen how hard you run after secondary things. And he's like, I want to show you how hard you could run if you were running in the right direction for the right thing with the right heart for the right end. God is not against passion. He's against passions that are against him. He refuses to play second fiddle to any other passion. He is the first, the best, and you should give your first and best to him. Look at Colossians 3, verse 5. This apostle Paul being converted here now writes this letter later, and he says this. This instruction he gives to the Colossian church. He says, "Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you: sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness." That word "passion" is is in the King James translated "inordinate affection." What he's saying is, he's not just saying kill all passion. Otherwise, that's what that, that would be the application of that verse if that's what he meant by that. Just stop being passionate about anything. Stop caring. The best thing you could do is to go live in a hole somewhere and just stop caring. Just kill all your desires. Go be a Buddhist monk and stop caring about anything, and that's the solution to life. That's really living is not caring. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying put to death inordinate affection. The goal is not to have no affections. The goal is to have properly ordered affections, to have your affections in the right order because then you can go after it. If you kill all passion, you only prevent one kind of sin. If you kill all your passion, you will only prevent one kind of sin. You will prevent the kind of sin of doing bad things. I'm no longer passionate for doing this, so I don't do bad stuff. If you kill all passion, you will no longer go do bad stuff. But you actually create an entirely different kind of problem. If you kill all passion, now you create a new kind of problem. You, now you have the problem of not doing good. Because there are sins of commission, running out and doing things you shouldn't but there are sins of omission, things you ought to be doing that you're not doing because you don't care enough to do them. And if you kill all your passion, you'll never do those and you'll be continually guilty of not doing good. Don't forget that the greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest commandment is not a don't, it's a do. The greatest thing that we're ever called to is to do something, to passionately pursue God, to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, with everything, passionately pursuing him. Because remember, our big idea this morning is that passions insist on being practiced. When you stir up something, when you have properly ordered affections and you care, it makes you want to do something about it. And if you have them in the right order, you will do what you should do. If your passions are out of order, it's not surprising that you get disorder. If your passions are muffled, you won't get much of anything because they're not trying to do much. But if your passions are in the right order, you will get God and you will get everything else. Look at Matthew 6, 33. It says, seek first. So top priority, first affection. Make, set your heart first and foremost. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you seek God first and put everything else in its right order, you get God and everything else. You get all of it thrown in. You get, you get everything else as a bonus prize. But if you seek everything else before that, you will get nothing. Seek God first, and you will get everything else thrown in. Seek anything else first, and you will end up with nothing. You won't even get the thing that you've put first. God wants people to seek him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he wants to give us everything else, but he just wants to give it to us in the right order. To give us anything else would throw us off track, and Saul was a man who was pursuing things with all his heart, but in the wrong order. He had things out of order, and so God knocked him down, and by God's grace, that's My story, and that's many of your stories, God knocked us down. He stopped us in our tracks. He showed us what we had been doing. And then he gave us a new vision to follow him. Because God's biggest desire is for more people who desire him more, not less. His goal isn't just to have a bunch of people who have resigned themselves to like, everything else is not really worth following, so I guess I'll pick God. And I'll have this unhappy life of going to church every Sunday, tuning on webcams because I should, and my mom's gonna ask if I went to church this morning. That's not what he... Came to do. That's not God's desire for us. So, why would God pick somebody like Saul, who is so aggressively going in the wrong direction? I think one clue comes in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, where Paul, writing back on his own life, says this He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's the only apostle who was previously against the church of God and persecuted them actively. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul was going to go hard after something. He went hard after whatever he went after. His problem was not motivation, but direction. Paul was very motivated. He was just going the wrong direction. And so God can take a man like that and point him in the right direction and watch him go. Watch him go. Watch him run hard. He had passion. He cared enough to go after what he went after and so God takes him and puts him in a new direction. So where are your passions at this morning? What direction are they taking you? What you're passionate about will come out. It insists on it. It wants to come out, it wants to, you, what are you talking about? What can you not help but talk about? What kind of news can you not help but want to share? What links can you not help but want to share? What places do you, can you not resist going to? That's what you're passionate about. And God's desire is that your passions would be trained in the direction of Him, and that you'd point it at Him and Him first and foremost. But for some of you, you're going towards Jesus. you're going the right direction this morning. You tune in, you're like, "Hey, pastor, I' got this. I'm going the right direction. Your problem is not direction, but motivation. How hard are you running? Look at Paul. He worked harder than anybody, not because he was trying to earn his place among the apostles, but because that's what Paul was going to do. He loved whatever he loved with all of his heart. He gave himself to it entirely. For some of you, your problem this morning isn't that you're going the wrong direction. It's that you don't have enough motivation. You're like, yeah, I got Jesus. So I mean, I, I got, I mean it's part of my thing, I do. It's, 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 it's in there somewhere. But it's not the driving force of why I do what I do. It's not, what, it's not the reason why I get up when I get up or why I go to bed when I do, why I'm dating who I am, why I'm not dating who I'm not. It's not enough part of who you are. It needs to be part of it. It needs to be part of the motivation for what you're doing because our passions insist I'm being practiced, and so perhaps for some of us, our passions need a stern talking to. (laughs) It is time for us to take responsibility for our passions and stop being on the receiving end saying, well I have no choice in the matter, it's just how I feel. Maybe it's time for us to take responsibility for our feelings and to tell our feelings where to go, to tell them how far is too far and where they should be working harder or plowing harder or going faster. Perhaps they're out of order, perhaps they're out of shape. (laughs) I don't know what your problem is this morning. If they are out of order, pray to God, and and do the diligence of sanctification, of putting your affections in the right order. Feed the things you should be feeding. If they're out of shape, get in the gym. Get in the spiritual gym. Start reading your Bible. Join Pastor Matt's Bible read through, learning how to read your Bible. Figure out how to read it. Maybe you're like, I don't know where to begin. I know I should be reading my Bible, but I don't know what to do. Join that. Figure it out. Get in shape. Get your passions in shape because our mission here and vision is to know, love, and obey God because we know and we're convinced that the more you know him, the more you will love him. And the more that you love him, the more you'll want to obey. You won't be doing it out of just sheer obligation, but because you delight in him and you want to do it the same way that a child wants to please their father. Out of the sincerity of their heart, they want to obey. They want to do what they're called to do. You are called to point all of your passion at loving God. And our example on this as we close our time today is Jesus himself as this Palm Sunday we look at him entering the city, knowing exactly what's going to happen to him, knowing why he's going there. I have a couple of verses from First Peter, one of Paul's friends in ministry, up on the screens for you guys to consider as we consider what we should do with all this passion. Look, it says, To this you have been called. This is your calling, Christian. Christ suffered. Again, that word "suffer" is it's the same word for passion. That's why we call the passion of the Christ, his sufferings, his passions. Christ was passionate for you. He suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He did that so that you might walk in his footsteps. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Since therefore Christ suffered, since he was passionate in his flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Jesus died so that you might live passionately. He didn't die so that you could be bored with church. He didn't die so that you could consider this Christian thing some boring thing or some necklace you wear sometimes when you feel like it, I guess. Jesus died so that you might live And not just live for a moment or live for a weekend at a camp retreat or live for that week at Inspiration Hills Church Camp back in seventh grade. For example, he did it so that you would live the rest of the time. Look at the text. For the rest of your days in the flesh, as long as you have a body, live in it for God. No longer for human passions, not for what you used to get excited about, but for the will of God. Jesus died so that you might live a passionate life. God loves people full of passion who go hard in the right direction. He loves it so much that he is stopping some of us in our tracks. He has stopped us in the past in our tracks. He has told us what we've been doing, revealed to us exactly the extent of how bad it really was. Saul just thought he was trying to drag people to prison. He was fighting against Jesus Christ himself. He didn't know that. Some of you don't know that this morning. I did not know that. And it was the grace of God to reveal to me what I had been doing and how bad it really was. And then he gave me a new vision for my life and gave me, A track to pursue him hard with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of what you can do with people who are passionately committed in the wrong direction. Saul was not going to be going towards Christianity or towards worshiping Jesus anytime soon. There was no indication that that was ever going to happen, and you, in your grace, knocked him down revealed to him how bad he was. <laughs> the irony being Saul probably, even in his other letters, he will testify how good he really was. He was the best person he knew. Is that you this morning? Are you the best person you know if everybody just did it your way and texted what you did and tweeted what you did and reposted what you did, the world would be a better place? Saul was the best person he knew and God knocked him down and showed him what exactly he'd been up to and he repented and it said that he, his eyes were opened, he could not see. <laughs> His eyes were now opened by Jesus, but he couldn't see anything. He was blind. He had killed his former way of life, but he didn't have anything new yet. He just was blind now. He couldn't see anything. And Jesus, you, in your grace, gave him a new vision. You sent Ananias to preach the gospel to him, to baptize him in obedience and in faith pray that you would do that for us, Lord. Show us where you've done that in our past. Maybe do that again for us today. Set us on fire inside because we cannot carry fire in our chest and have it not burn our clothes. So please help us repent of those passions which are out of order. Those things that we get excited about that should be submissive to other passions. Please rise up and help us to promote the right things. Give us the tools to help them and promote them and then let them have the corner office and make all the decisions for our lives that you, Jesus, would rule our calendars, our hearts, our web browsing, our, our wallets, our relationships, our repentance, our forgiveness, everything, all of it, Jesus, please rule over us and give us a passion and a drive that we'd remember your death and in that not just sit somberly, but to rise up as you did with full of life and energy That we would live an exciting, vibrant, adventurous, passionate, action-filled life because our passions for you are driving all of our decisions. That we would see people come to know you. That we would see people like Saul. We would would get to see that. We would get to see people come to know you, Jesus, as a result of the things we say. That we would see people come to know you because of the places we go, the things we do. That you would so fill us with passion that we would get to be part of somebody else's story. That we would not just be the converted, but that we would be the converters, not just the disciples, but the disciple-makers. Please, Jesus, give us your spirit. Help us to remember our humble beginnings and in humble confidence to pursue you hard and to see others come to join those who call upon you.